Cause we can live in a money pit Money pit If your basement needs a pump Or your place looks like a dump You live in a money pit Money pit Pick up the telephone Fix up your home sweet home I call an 888 money pit Money Pit is presented by Aero Fastener. We ship floors and Home Advisor. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we're here for you to help you with your summer home improvement projects. Or maybe you're thinking about planning a project for the chillier weather ahead. Summer is great because you can plan those projects and get them done while it's still comfortable to work outside. If any of that is on your to-do list, or maybe you just got a decor job or closet organization project or a kitchen re do we'd love to hear the details give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEY-PIT coming up on today's show as we head into the heart of the summer season and keep spending more and more time outside well the ticks are doing the same thing and they can be pretty unsafe so we're going to have some tips to help you stay clear including a homemade repellent that really really works and replacing a water heater isn't usually on a homeowner's improvement radar until it is because it's leaking. We're going to share tips on what you should be checking for now to avoid needing emergency replacements later. Plus, do you know the easiest door to break into for any house? It's usually the garage door. We'll tell you why and share the surprisingly simple steps you can take to secure that entry. But first, we want to hear from you. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question at one eight 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 money pit 888-666-3974. If you do, We'll toss your name in the Money Pit Hard Hat because we're giving away two great tools from our friends at Arrow, a professional electric stapler and nailer, and the Arrow Dual Temp Glue Gun. Those products are going out with a supply of staples and glue sticks and everything you need to one caller drawn at random. The number is 888-MONEY-PIT. Joe in California is on the line with a leaky chimney. Tell us what's going on. Well, it's an old one from the 60s, I believe, but it was beautifully built. It's like 15 foot wide and two stories up, and, you know, I'm on the second story. But it's, uh, the, the water's going through the mortar coming in, and it's terrible. It's like a waterfall in the wintertime. <laughs> so you say the water's coming through the mortar. Do you know uh, for a fact that it's coming through in a particular place? Because generally when chimneys leak, there's two areas that we concentrate on. The first is the very top of the chimney. And if it's a masonry chimney, you probably have a clay flue liner. Is that correct? Yes. It is. And then so the space between the clay flue liner and the outside edge of the brick chimney, that has to have a concrete cap on it. And that should be sloped away from the flue liner to the outside edge. It can't have any cracks or holes or gaps in it. And very often you have to caulk it if that does develop around the flue liner as well as through the, the, the cracks. The second place that chimneys typically leak is at their intersection with roofs. And unfortunately, roofers have almost universally lost uh, the skill set that would have uh, would, would, that would have enabled them to be able to flash this joint properly between the chimney and the roof. Because the proper way to do this is with a two-piece flashing system, where you have a base flashing that goes underneath the roof shingle and up against the side of the chimney, and then counter flashing, which is carved into the mortar joint, folds over the outside edge of the chimney and also over the base flashing. And the reason that sort of two-piece design is important is because chimneys are always moving and roofs are always moving and they don't move together. And so this is sort of a, um, a slip joint, so to speak, where they can actually move and shift with the wind and the heat and the rain 
strain and the expansion and contraction without actually breaking down. So I would look at those two areas. And then I'll just give you one other tip. If you have a roof where there's a lot of water running down before it hits the base of the chimney, in a situation like that, what you want to do is put a diverter um, on the roof midway to kind of short-circuit some of the water that's running down towards the chimney and run it around the chimney, and that will just simply re- uh, reduce the volume of water that's getting in there and potentially leaking through into your house. Uh, this has got a flat metal top over the top of the chimney, you know, that mostly keep the rain from coming down the chimney, but right. I haven't really looked at the flue liner up there. I, that's a good point. Yep. Take a careful look, Joe, okay? Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Now we've got Norma from Delaware on the line who wants to know what size pipes you need to get good pressure in the bathroom. Norma, that sounds like a personal question. What's going on at your money pit? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to install a shower panel. Okay. And I, in order to get, you know, good the right pressure, Right. How long, how, how big do the pipes need to be? You said you want to install a shower panel. So is this one of these units where it comes in and then fans out to multiple spray heads? Yeah, the, the jets, right. How's your water pressure right now? Pretty good. Yeah. Well, my house is about uh, eight years old. Oh, if it's only eight years old and you have pretty good water pressure, you should be okay with this. I will say, though, that the water pressure coming out of multiple shower heads is not going to be as invigorating as coming out of a single shower head. So it's going to give you good coverage, but it may not be as uh, as strong. And I don't think there's much that you can do about that. If you've got normal street pressure, that's how those shower panel units are designed to work. But just be mindful that it's it's not likely to be as strong when it's going to come out of multiple heads because you basically just need more water to do that. Oh, okay. Well, you know, um, I inquired with the builder, and he told me that from from the basement to the shower floor, I have three quarter pipes, and then from the from the floor to the shower head, half an inch. And that's typical. That's typical. So you know that that doesn't change anything. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you so much for your help. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Rick in New Jersey, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Uh, when our house was built, in place of the usual wooden boards that are used to trim around the edges of the roofs and around the bottom of the house, they use a plastic composite-type material. Okay. And it it's used in place of wood, and it, you know, maintenance-free, lasts forever, that kind of stuff, with the exception that any place this wood is, this composite material is cut, it becomes... Um, kind of a haven for mold and mildew and you get green growth there and it's you spend a lot of time and effort continually pressure washing to clean it out so what i'm looking for is some means of sealing is there some way of sealing this to prevent this mold growth on what is otherwise a maintenance-free material well if it's composite it it may be a product called azac a-z-e-k and that's paintable and so you could, you know, paint those areas, and that might tend to seal it in a bit more. Because I think what you're saying is that the, the cut areas are probably more uh, absorbent than the surface areas. And so you're getting a little more moisture. Maybe it's a trap. There's a little rougher surface there. It might be a trap for uh, for dirt that feeds mildew or, or algae and that sort of thing. So what comes to mind right away is that you simply could paint it. But, of course, you know what comes after paint, repaint. Exactly. <laughs> 
it takes away the maintenance-free aspect of it. But is exactly. there a type of paint that would be more conducive or last longer, like a, an epoxy-type paint or something like that? Not for surface like that. No, you would just use an exterior paint, and you would probably prime it first. So it wouldn't be latex. It would be an enamel? No, you would use a 100% acrylic latex paint. That's what AZEC recommends uh, be used. And, you know, you also might want to take a look at Sherwin-Williams, for the paint manufacturer, because I know that they have paints that are specifically made for uh, vinyl or PVC products, which is what that product is. Azek is simply an extruded cellular PVC. Not everybody does this, but some contractors tend to skip the step of filling holes when it comes to a composite trimming. You know, they're like, I can't see it, it's okay. But this could give you the opportunity, if you're going to paint the trim as well, to go ahead and fill any nail holes and you know, that'll really give it almost a more natural wood look. You know, the brush strokes, it, it could be a good thing. Okay. Thank you very much. That's a great idea. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Give us a call at 888 Money Pit, presented by Home Advisor, where it's easy to find top rated local home improvement pros for any home project. Go to homeadvisor.com. And just ahead, don't get sick from ticks. We'll have tips and tricks to help you from getting ticked off. After this, you live in a body pit. The money pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Whether it's minor repairs or major remodels, leave it to HomeAdvisor to do the work. Check out HomeAdvisor.com. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone right now. Give us a call. We'd love to hear what you're working on. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT, presented by HomeAdvisor. You can find out what it costs to do your home project before you hire a pro and instantly book one of HomeAdvisor's top-rated pros for free. Don't forget, give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT, where we can give you a hand with whatever it is you're working on. Plus, if you give us a call now, you're going to get the answer to your question and a chance to win a really great set of tools to get those projects done. We've got up for grabs the Arrow T50AC Professional Electric Stapler and Nailer, plus the Arrow GT20DT Dual Temp Glue Gun. Now, these guys have been making fantastic tools for 90 years for both pros and do-it-yourselfers, and Arrow really knows what they're doing. That electric stapler and nailer delivers consistent pro-grade performance with every shot. And I've got to say, this glue gun is my favorite. I love the dual temperatures. It works great on all different surfaces. You can make sure whatever you're adhering to one another is not going to melt, is truly going to stick. We're giving this away, plus a supply of glue sticks, nails, fasteners, everything you need. Give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT for your chance to win. 888-666-3974. Nils in Delaware is on the line with a fly problem at a new house. What's going on? Girlfriend purchased a historical home that was located in our county seat where all the court buildings are. It was built in 1806, and they moved it out of town. And so now we're redoing it a room at a time, but we're trying to keep it in period uh, because it's in the register. So I guess we got to be careful what we do. But, like, when we opened up the ceiling in the downstairs bathroom, there was a humongous snake that had died in the ceiling. Oh, no. And all that was left was the skin, and she was done when she saw that. Wow. But That's freaky. We've got all these different types of frogs in the yard. We've got a million ticks. And now we've got these 
everybody's calling them furnace flies that sees them, but we don't have a furnace. We've got a boiler, but that's out in, a, in what's called a potting shed, and it's a detached building from the home. So I don't know where these flies are coming from. Well, listen, Nils, we can give you some advice on how to tackle the flies, but between the flies and the ticks and everything else that's going on in this house, I really think you should just you know, cut the pain and pick up the phone and call a pest control operator, a licensed pest control professional, because they have the tools and the techniques and the products that can effectively and safely make this house a lot less insect infested. Now, with the flies, you know, you can make a, your own fly traps out of uh, out of apple cider vinegar. All you do is you you take a, like a cup or a jar, you put a couple inches of vinegar, apple cider vinegar in it, you cover the top of that jar with plastic, punch some holes in it that are big enough for the flies to get in, and they'll find their way in there. They won't be able to get out. So, I mean, we can give you some sort of home remedies like that, but if you've got this level of insect infestation in this old house and even the surrounding yards. Oh, no, 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 it, there's, it's, there's no infestation in the house. It's just we've got flies that go around the kitchen and her family room. Most of the floor is like 18-inch planks, 18 inches wide. And uh, we, we just don't know what where the flies are coming from and how to get rid of them. And I have to be careful because our neighbor was killed in a car accident and we've inherited all five of her cats because they had nowhere to go, I guess. Well, I still think that you could have the house professionally treated safely, even with the animals inside of it, and it's going to be a lot more effective than chasing them down with any other type of remedy. You know, there are pyrethrin sprays that you can buy over the counter, but I just don't think you should use them. A professional is going to come in, and sometimes people think, well, if the professionals come in, they're using the really strong stuff. Well, I would put it this way. They're using the right stuff, and they're using the right amount of it to do the job at hand. Pesticides today are heavily regulated, and they have to be applied very specifically and consistent with the label directions. And they do a pretty good job uh, because the guys are trained to know how to do it. And so considering the level of issue you've got going on here, that's exactly what I would do here. Okay, Nils? Okay. Well, according to the CDC, there are as many as nine different ticks that you can be exposed to when being outside this summer. And each of them can carry a dozen or more diseases, and some of which can even be serious. So to keep yourself tick-free, there are a few choices in the repellents that you can take. First off, you want to use a repellent that contains 20% or more DEET, Picardin, or IR-3535. Now, any of these is going to give you protection that will last several hours. Now, you can also use products that have been treated with permethrin. You can buy products that are pre-treated, or you can treat clothing and gear like your boots, pants, socks, and tents with those repellents containing 0.5% permethrin. That's one-half of 1%. Now, the permethrin actually remains protective through several washings, so you don't have to repeat it for every outdoor adventure, especially if it's on your tent and it's raining, but do reapply when you should. Now, you can also make your own tick repellent. Essential oils are great for this. So all you need is two ounces of witch hazel or vodka, one ounce of water, and 20 drops each of any three of the following oils. You can use geranium, lemon eucalyptus, lavender, Virginia cedarwood, and Alaskan cypress. You mix them up in a spray bottle, shake well, then apply. And we've got that complete recipe on moneypit.com. Plus, we've got a list of plants that you can add around your home that will naturally repel ticks, like lavender, one of my favorites. Just search for tick repellent on moneypit.com.
Craig in Rhode Island's online and he needs some help with a bathroom makeover. What are you working on? Uh, well, actually, my second bathroom um, in my master, uh, it's kind of old. Um, it has a Simmons um, water mixer, shut off valve. And actually, I'm looking to replace it. It's cracked, uh, has some issues. But I can't get behind the shower to open the wall up to replace it. Uh, because it's actually adjacent to my my first bathroom shower, uh, it's a fiberglass uh, one piece pop in. My first thought is take the insert out, tile it, uh, but then I have to put a shower pan in. You know, I have to do a lot more extra work and money. Um, and then I heard um, possibly cutting the hole bigger, and they have bigger back plates. But I mean, I, I don't want it to look awkward as well, you know. So what exactly is wrong with the valve you have there now? Uh, well, see, I don't think the mixing valve. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but the plate, um, um, the, the shut-off valve, it's cracked. Um, I also have well water. I know it's been taking a toll on the pipes. The home's 20 years old. I'm pretty sure it's original to the home as well. I've only owned it for about uh, uh, coming up on two years now. And um, So you so you basically tell me that it's a cosmetic piece? It is. It, it, it is, but I'm redoing the bathroom, and I want to update the fixtures. So, you know, and like I said, it's, it's kind of your typical apartment, Simmons, you know, very, uh, like a chrome, you know, the... the kind of cheap chrome finish. Well, look, you have the most impossible scenario because you have back-to-back plumbing walls. And and typically, you know, design bathrooms so that, like, one side of the wall is like a closet, you know, where you could go and tear out the back wall and then you could get to the valves. Um, but in your case, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because you either have to take apart the fiberglass shower or you got to take apart the, the shower that's, that's uh, basically uh, getting you started here. And I don't really have a good solution for you. I mean, I was asking you about the existing valves because I was wondering if maybe sometimes plumbers can rebuild all the working parts of that from the from the action side, you know, from from the inside, and maybe pick up some additional you know faucets that will look like they'll work in there. I, I mean, I would I wouldn't go to the tear out without at least exploring that. I mean, I I for example recently had a new uh, shower valve that had to really be replaced. And it turned out that the uh, the the uh, valves were plastic inside. Some of the valve components were plastic, the seats. And we tore them out and we replaced them with brass. And uh, we were able to find those at a plumbing supply store. And so I didn't have to actually replace the faucet. My next step is going to, uh, I'm going to go to a plumbing supply and see if they just have a updated kind of um, updated Simmons where I could keep that valve in and everything's kind of, you know, pieced together as well. Right. I think that's a smart thing. You know what you want to do is take uh, some pictures of that and go talk to a knowledgeable guy behind the counter and figure out what your options are. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's my next step. And if not, uh, I guess I'll be tiling a new shower. Yeah, I mean, if you can figure out a way to make it passable, <laughs> I think you should do that because, you know what, yeah. nobody's going to see that space. And I hate to see you spend a, you know, a few thousand bucks <laughs> redoing it if all you're trying to get is new valves. That's what I'm trying to stay away from. Well, thank you guys very much. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Hey, have you checked your water heater lately? Well, doing so can help you avoid water heater problems. We're going to explore that in today's Pro Project, presented by HomeAdvisor.com, next. Hey, 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 money pit. The Money Pit is presented by QuickCrete Fast Setting Concrete Mix in the red bag. Make your next outdoor concrete project quick and easy. Quick Creek Fast Setting Concrete Mix. Look for it in the red bag.
making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. On this beautiful summer weekend, what project are you working on? We'd love to hear about it. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Now I've got Allison in New York on the line who has an unwanted visitor at their money pit. What's going on? My husband, I wish he was on with me, but our mission is to humanely trap, we believe to be a squirrel that's running between the drop ceiling in our basement. And my husband said two by eight joint rafters. There's like a two inch space only. And What I want you to do is to go out and pick up a trap called a have a heart trap. Now, these have-a-heart traps are, are live traps in that they're going to catch this squirrel, and then you're going to pull this trap out, and you can take them out to the woods somewhere and, and release them. What you do with the have-a-heart trap is once you get it set up, in the back of the trap where you want the squirrel to kind of end up, put an apple back there. And don't just put it back there, but wire it to the back wall of the trap. Take a piece of like picture wire, thread it through the apple and kind of tie it off. So because I tell you what, even though these traps are good, those squirrels and other uh, small rascals can can sometimes grab that without without uh, uh, tripping the door. But if you wire it to the back of the trap, they don't have a chance. And set it near the opening wherever you can get access to it. And I'll tell you, uh, sooner or later, that squirrel's going to wander in that trap, and bam, you'll hear the door slap, and they will not be happy. They'll kind of be running in circles trying to figure out a way to get out. But you can cover them with a blanket, um, throw them in the back of your car in the trunk, and take it out somewhere. Uh, and then as you open that up, believe me, they're not going to stand around to kind of uh, talk about it with you. They'll just bolt. As soon as you lift that door, they will bolt into the woods. Okay. I hope that helps you out, Allison. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, according to the experts at Energy Star, water heaters are the second highest energy user in the home. And using a water heater can cost a family of four 620 bucks annually. Now, that is more than enough reason to keep an eye on how your water heater is performing. We're going to have some tips on how to do just that in today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Now, first off, it's important to know your water heater's age. The average lifespan of a water heater is anywhere from 8 to 12 years. And unfortunately, there's no test or telltale sign that a water heater needs replacing, of course, aside from a major leak, which you want to avoid. Now, if the water seems less hot, even though the temperature on your heater has not changed, it could be a sign of a malfunction. Other signs could include leakage around fittings and corrosion on the heater itself or any of the plumbing connections. Yeah, now sometimes a water heater can be repaired, but if it's getting to that 8 to 10-year-old range, you might just want to hire a pro to replace the whole unit and take advantage of the improved efficiency that newer water heaters can bring. For example, a new Energy Star certified electric heat pump water heater uses less than half the energy of standard water heater models and can actually save a family of four nearly $3,750 over its 13-year lifespan. Plus, many utilities offer incentives for purchasing Energy Star certified water heaters that can reduce cost and increase savings even more. Now, if your home uses natural gas or propane for hot water, another option to consider is a tankless water heater. A tankless water heater lasts around 20 years, which is much longer than a traditional tank water heater. Plus, those tankless units, well, they're very small, and they can actually be installed closer to the bath or the kitchen. That allows the hot water to reach those areas a lot more quickly without running the water needlessly as you wait for it to get warm. And while they're more expensive to buy and install, 
Tankless systems are super efficient and heat the water as you need it, making sure you never run out of hot water, no matter how many teenagers live in the house. <laughs> and that's today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com. With HomeAdvisor, you can get matched with top-rated home service pros in your area, compare prices, read verified reviews, and book appointments online all for free. No matter the type of job, HomeAdvisor makes it fast and easy to hire the best local pros. John in Missouri, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a pressure-treated wood I've used, and I've put it on. I've sealed it with a solid stain uh, paint, and it seems like within after two years, my wood it starts to rot. It gets soft. I want to know why is this happening? It's pressure-treated wood. When you stained it, first of all, did you do all sides of the board, including the bottom edge of the slat? Because very often that's where moisture gets pulled in. I did the whole board, and I could then I assemble it. And it just seems like it holds the uh, like a moisture within it, and within I can say two years, it get you almost push on it and soft, or it starts rotting. Yeah, I suspect that it's. It, I mean, there's different layers of pressure treatment, but I suspect whatever was done to this was not done very well. You know, I had some uh, some landscape ties that were allegedly pressure treated, and within a couple of years, they were rotted away. I stepped on them one day and went right through it. So I suspect that the quality of the wood. Uh, in this fencing wasn't really what you expected it to do. I've taken just plain fur fence um, and I've treated it with wood life and made sure that the bottom of the fence was up at least two to three inches over the grass because otherwise it gets a lot of moisture that pulls up into it. And I've had fences like that that I treated and then I used the solid color stain on last 15 years. Just because it's pressure treated or, or not well pressure treated doesn't mean it can't last, but I think it's a combination of the installation uh, and then the treatment of the stain uh, and that, that was used initially. Okay, because see, like I have a boat dock and it's over the water. And I just put clear sealer over it. And you know what? It lasts It lasts longer than uh, me sealing it with same paint. And it comes down to the quality of the wood itself. And whatever this fence is made out of just is not comparable to what your doc's made out of, John. Sorry to tell you that, but I think that's what's going on. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Okay, well, thanks. Have yourself a great day. Just ahead, do you know which door is the easiest door to break into for any house? Well, it's the garage. We're going to tell you why and share the surprisingly simple steps that you can take to secure that entry next. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The Money Pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. You'll never have to worry about overpaying for a job. Just use their True Cost Guide to see what others paid for similar projects. Then get matched to top-rated pros, read reviews, get quotes, and book appointments. All for free at HomeAdvisor.com.
where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Standing by for your calls, your questions, your DIY dilemmas at 1-888-MONEY-PIT presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Never worry about overpaying for a job. Just use the HomeAdvisor True Cost Guide to see what others paid for a similar project. That's all for free at HomeAdvisor.com. And don't forget, give us a call right here at 888-MONEY-PIT. Plus, if you give us a call now, you're going to get the answer to your question, plus some really great tools to help you get those projects done. Up for grabs this hour, we've got the Arrow T50 AC Professional Electric Stapler and Nailer, plus the Arrow GT20 DT Dual Temp Glue Gun. These are two great tools from a company that's been building products for pros and do-it-yourselfers alike for 90 years. This glue gun heats up fast and features a drip-resistant glue tip so that you can control the glue flow and really get an accurate point of glue placement, which is so important because you don't want it on your fingers. You want it on your project. It's got so many great features and it's ideal for upholstery, woodworking, crafts, even general home repair. If you want to learn more about both tools, check out Arrow's Pro Tool giveaway at arrowfastener.com. There's even projects on the website so you will never run out of things to do with your Arrow tools. Call us now with your home improvement question at one eight 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 Money Pit. You might just win both tools plus a supply of staples, nails, and glue sticks. That whole package is worth ninety bucks and going out to one caller drawn at random. The number again is eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Michael in Virginia is on the line and is working on a decking project. Tell us about it. Hey, so I've got a twelve by twelve deck that came with the house and it's about twenty years old. So boards are starting to peel up and I'm no longer able to get a screw to stick in the sublayment. Am I able to sister the underlying boards with 2x4s or something to build up the base, or am I better off replacing all of the um, substructure along with the deck? So if it's 20 years old and it sounds like it's not pressure-treated, and if the existing uh, floor joists have decayed to the point where they won't even hold a screw or a nail, I think it's time to replace that deck structure and all. Because you're... You know, the clock is ticking now, and it's going to be potentially very unsafe in a very short period of time. So what I would tell you to do is to remove it, replace it, and consider uh, using composite for the decking surface. You can use pressure treated for the frame, but use composite for the decking surface between the composite and the pressure treated. You know, you'll get more than another 20 years out of it. Okay. Now, I've looked at composites, and price-wise, they're they're pretty pricey. Am I going to be able to save a few bucks by going to um, a heavier-duty um, like a two by six kiln dried board and sealing all that when it goes in. Well, the thing is, you don't. Well, I wouldn't use two by six. What I would use is five quarter by six if you want to go with the wood decking. But you're going to have to seal and stain that. You know, every couple of years. The thing with composites is all you got to do is clean it. I mean, if you look at like a big box store like a Home Depot, and those composites are not terribly expensive. And they look really good. All right, I'll have to check them out. Because remember, you're not replacing the floor joist with it. You know, you're only doing the deck surface. So if it's 12 by 12, you know, it's 144 square feet. It's 288 lineal feet. It's probably worth it. I see. Now, we are thinking about expanding it out a few feet, too. Yeah, well, that would be the time to do it, you know. <laughs> okay. So you're doing the substructure is still all of the pressure-treated lumber because you need that for the support. And then all of the decking itself and the fascia boards, and you can even do the railings, all of that can be the composite. And it's really gorgeous. You know, I have one that's sort of mid-range, but it has an interesting grain to it and almost looks like an ipe. You know, it's you can get ones that are super simple, and you can get ones that really look exotic. And I think that's where your price point's going to swing a lot. Now, how do you deal with the um, 
the railings and the, the fencing it in. So the posts would come up and that would be, you know, the basis for your supports and that would be your pressure treated lumber and that would be built up through from the substructure and then there are sleeves that go over it in the composite. Now you can get ones that match your decking or you can go with white. And then for the substructure, now I am talking about extending this out, um, there are these concrete, I don't know, they're about a foot by a foot um, blocks that you can buy that you can lay your four by six across for, they, they say it's for um, decking like in the yard. Am I better off doing that or poured concrete? There are prefabricated footings for decks. They look like sort of like pyramids, but they're not like one by one. They're like one by one by about three feet tall. And they have a place for a bracket on top. I've used those. They work really well. They're a little harder to install because you've got to be more accurate with where the hole is. But frankly, I think the easiest thing to do is just to dig it yourself, uh, a one-foot-by-one-foot square that's a couple of feet deep and uh, you know mix up three or four bags of quickcrete and make that the footing. And then you can drop the pressure treated right into that. And if you use the right level of pressure treated, it can actually be in ground. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Tom. You got it. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Do you know which door is the easiest door to break into for any house? Well, it's the garage. We've got a tip to help you avoid becoming a victim of that kind of breaking and entering. Yeah, if you'd like to protect your home from intruders, it's really important that you identify vulnerable areas around your house, like hiding spots that are caused by bushes or trees, as well as easy points of entry, especially if you're going out of town. For example, the garage door may be easier to open than you think, but you can secure it simply by installing a bolt through one of the extra holes in the garage door tracks. Now, with the bolt in place, the door is not going to be able to roll upwards and the door is going to be secure. Now, for everyday use, you can integrate a smart garage door controller, and that's a great way to keep tabs on whether the door is open or closed from your smartphone. These controllers will not only alert you when the door is open or closed, but they'll even remind you if you drive away and forget to close the garage door, and then it will allow you to open or close that door even from miles away. So some great options and a great door to make sure you keep secure to make sure your house stays safe. Bill in Nevada is on the line with an LED lighting question. What can we do for you? I recently replaced a standard overhead incandescent lighting fixture with a LED lighting fixture. The installation went okay. Everything's, everything works. But when you turn on the light, there's a, a delay. There's about a second and a half, maybe a two-second delay before mm-hmm. the lights actually come on. Is that standard? What causes it? And more importantly, is there something I can do about it? Yeah, I've seen that with some LED fixtures that I have, and I never thought it was anything other than normal. Uh, you know, LED bulbs themselves are pretty complicated when you look at all the circuitry, and I just presume that's what it takes to bring the light up and, and maintain it at that level. So I've never thought twice about that being an issue, but I could see yeah, how it surprise Oh, yeah. I've definitely seen it before. All right. Well, that was the question. I appreciate you taking it and uh, giving me a good, quick answer. Hey, you already recycle, but do you upcycle? We're going to tell you how to step up to the next level of green living after this. Live in a body pit. Fit is presented by Supercore, sold exclusively by WeShipFloors.com. Supercore is waterproof, click lock, rigid core flooring, impact resistant flooring with a 30 day money back guarantee. Order your free samples today at WeShipFloors.com. 
Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show presented by HomeAdvisor.com. You never have to worry about overpaying for a job again. Just use their true cost guide to see what others have paid for similar projects. Then get matched with top rated pros, read reviews, get quotes, book appointments. It's all online and it's all for free at HomeAdvisor.com. All right. You can also post your question to the Money Pits community page at moneypit.com. Greg did just that. He says, I'm thinking about installing hardwired integrated smoke detectors. Is it worth my while? And what should I know beforehand? Well, is it worth your while? I don't know. You planning on having a fire? I mean, you just can't decide that, Greg. So I'd say, yeah, it's worth your while. First of all, just for those folks that don't know what an interconnected smoke detector is, you know, in the old days, smoke detectors were individualized. So if one went off, it was only that one unless the smoke made its way to the rest of the house. With interconnected detectors, if a detector goes off, say, in the basement or in the garage or in the kitchen, all the detectors go off at the same time. And that's important, especially if it happens in the middle of the night, because it gives you more time to get out. The other thing that you might want to think about doing is adding not only interconnected detectors, but those that are dual sensors built into them. That means it responds to both flaming fires and ones that are slow and smoldering. So it covers both kinds of fire. And lastly, remember that a lot of the smart smoke detectors today, they can do all this without you having to actually run electricity to every single one because that makes them all truly interconnected. And if there's an area of the house where perhaps there are really sound sleepers, you can even get speakers that work with these things to really boost up the volume so that you and your family can be totally safe. And you know what? Just knowing that you have these in your home offers such a peace of mind and you know you're prepared. And that's really what you've got to be is preparation to keep your family safe. Well, you might be a pro at household recycling, but have you ever tried upcycling? If you're not exactly sure what that is, Leslie's got the details and the ideas in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie? That's when you take your recycling bin and you put it on the top shelf. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Haven't you done entire home shows based on just the upcycling concept, the idea I mean, of finding sure. stuff around the house and reusing it? It's a matter of finding stuff around the house, finding stuff at thrift stores, finding stuff that's being thrown away. There's always a way to use something for something else or to just improve the use of something that you've already got. It really does reduce waste, save money, and it really can inspire creative summer projects for you and the whole family. So if you're cleaning out the garage or basement, the storage shed, keep your eyes peeled for items that can be transformed into unique home accents. Now, a forgotten piece of furniture can easily be upcycled into a posh bathroom accessory, an attractive old window can be converted into a table, mirror, message board. You've got to think out of the box with these things. Now, if you need new storage for tools and other gear, scan online idea boards for inspiration. You may already have everything that you need to create smart organizers and displays, an old shutter, an old piece of foam board that you wrap with fabric. Always think like, hmm, what's this? Can I wrap it with something? Can I tie it with something? If I put a holder in it, will that do something else? All of these things can create something new. Something simple as a piece of molding with some knobs or drawer pulls becomes a jewelry organizer. Very simple to do these things. Remember, think creatively and try to work those upcycling projects into your summer routine and you'll end up with some really unique and personalized results. And then post your results, whatever you make, whatever it is, I want to see it. Post them on moneypit.com's community section. I want to know what you're working on. And even if you found something and you think, what can I do with this? Send it to me. I want to help you. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Coming up next time on the program, July is not a month you want to get stranded without air conditioning. 
If you know what to look for if yours starts acting up, though, there's a really good chance the fix is an easy one. We'll tell you what you need to know on the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a money pit.